If you could get you in your Bibles, please, to turn to 1 John. Um, 1 John, and we're going to read this morning from chapter 4. We'll read from verse 7 down to verse 21 in the epistle, first epistle of John. <clears throat> Beginning at verse 7 and reading to the end of the chapter, please. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and every one that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us, and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in Him, and He in us, because He hath given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in Him, and He in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, <clears throat> and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Amen. We'll end the reading there at the close of the chapter. Um, a hymn that's well known, I'm sure, to all of us says, the love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. So I confess at the outset that I will certainly not do it justice. Um, but we want to come to consider um, particularly verse 9 this morning. And we'll do so just after a short word of prayer. Let's bow our heads together, please. Our Father in heaven, as we come into thy presence this morning, we're thankful for another Lord's Day. We are thankful for another opportunity to rest from our employment and our normal recreation. We thank you, Lord, for the example that God has given and this day of rest that is good for our souls, good for our bodies as well, Lord, and our minds. We pray that as we have come into the house of God, and Lord, we thank you for the mercy that has brought us here. Lord, we pray that you would draw near to us. We thank you for the promise that those who draw nigh to God will find them drawing nigh to him, uh, find him drawing nigh to them. Oh, Lord, we ask that you would cleanse us from our sin this morning. We ask, Lord, that you would, through the passage that will be considered now, remind us of the great truth of God's love for his people. Lord, And we ask that we would be encouraged this morning and perhaps challenged, Lord, whatever the word is that each heart needs, I ask that you would minister to that heart by the Holy Spirit. Lord, please meet with us now, for we gather in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we gather as his own loved ones, and we ask all of these things in his name. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's lately and commonly reported that there's a decline in love 
in successful and stable relationships. We commonly hear of failure in love, and it's so hard to avoid hearing about this because the world constantly sings about it. And because we live in a sinful world, in a place where people think they have found love and then they're let down and they're scarred by bad experiences, love in this world amongst people is a very elusive thing. It's a topic that causes uncertainty. And perhaps some of you, uh, like the, the habit was in, maybe it's old-fashioned now, I don't know, perhaps some of you find yourselves once lifting a daisy, pulling off the petals one by one, saying, he loves me, he loves me not. <laughs> you had someone in mind, and you weren't sure whether it was really love. And thankfully, you had a daisy and a rhyme to put the matter beyond any doubt. Well, one of the great joys of the Christian life is that we do have certainty about love. Not necessarily human love, although that should be the case in a Christian home and in a Christian marriage and in Christian families. But even better than that, far better than a genuine human love is what the believer in Jesus Christ enjoys, which is the assurance of the love of God. That is the theme on which the Apostle John writes here in chapter 4 and the second part of his chapter under the Holy Spirit's inspiration. In verse 7, John states that everyone that loveth is born of God. And he explains that in verse 8 by saying the simple and profound statement, God is love. And then in verse 9, John is explaining how we know not only that God is love, but that God loves us. Or as I've been thinking about it in order to make it as personal to me and to you as possible, how I know God loves me. I want you to think that way this morning. I want you to look at this verse 9 and to see in it how I know God loves me. First, one, first thing I want to consider with you this morning is love's mystery. Love's mystery. And you might ask a question at this point, and the question would be, why does God love me? Why does He love me? You look particularly in verse 9 at that phrase, the love of God toward us. The love of God toward us. Theologians classify the love of God as one aspect of His goodness. God possesses the attribute of goodness. It's part of His divine character. It's part of who He is. In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, Paul writes about the goodness of God and explains that it is because of God's goodness to men, His long-suffering and His forbearance, that they are given opportunity to repent from their sins. God's goodness gives people an opportunity to come to Christ. If it, weren't not, if it were not for the goodness of God, man would have been cast into hell immediately after falling in the Garden of Eden. Man would be punished immediately. But God's goodness and His forbearance and long-suffering leads us to repentance, Paul teaches there in Romans 2. God's goodness is shown in His benevolence. That's one of the aspects of His goodness. Uh, Matthew 5, verse 45 is a well-known verse, and in Northern Ireland we are very aware of the continual rain. Well, Matthew 5, 45 says, For he maketh his sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. God's goodness is expressed in benevolence, in the good, the common and the material and physical good that he shows to all his creatures, whether they are saved or not. But 1 John 4 and verse 9 speaks of God's love. And that's another aspect of His goodness. It's distinct from benevolence. It's very particular. And I'm stating that there's a mystery here concerning the love of God, and the mystery is found in that phrase, the love of God toward us. 
I'd like you to turn with me to John chapter 3. I want to see where there's a reference to the love of God that we would say is not so mysterious. John chapter 3 and verse 35 speaks of the love of God the Father to God the Son. John 3 and verse 35, it says, The Father loveth the Son and hath given all things into his hand. The Father loveth the Son. If we believe, as we do here and should, the doctrine of the Trinity, we don't stumble at the idea of the Father loving the Son. The three persons of the Godhead are one God. They are, as it says in the Catechism, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are the same pure spiritual essence. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all possess infinite divine perfection. Therefore, when the Father looks on the Son, He sees absolute divine perfection and He loves Him. Now, while the doctrine of the Trinity is a mystery, it is revealed in the Scripture, and when we believe that, we can still follow, we can accept and understand that God the Father loves God the Son. There's no difficulty in accepting what verse 35 of John 3 says, the Father loveth the Son. We can see why. We can see that the Son is perfect and equal, co-equal with God, and therefore we accept that God the Father would love God the Son. But when we read in 1 John 4 verse 9 of the love of God toward us, there's a mystery. That is a pure mystery. When God looks on us, fallen humanity, born into this world, born in sin, conceived in iniquity, He sees sinners by nature and also by practice. He sees a total absence of any spiritual good and a total presence of sin. He sees man's sinful thoughts and words and deeds. He knows exactly how many times and in what ways man has broken his law. And so simply, there is nothing in me to cause God to love me. There is nothing in you to cause God to love you. Instead, there is everything in us to justify our condemnation and our eternal punishment. And so when John writes in verse 9 of chapter 4, 1 John, about the love of God toward us, or those words toward us could be translated, in our case, he's writing about something that we cannot wrap our heads around. We cannot understand it. It is a mystery. There's no reason why God would love a sinner like me, but the Bible tells me he does. Scripture repeatedly tells us that God set his love freely and unconditionally on sinful human beings who hate him. Ephesians 2 verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins. 1 John 3 verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. God's love is bestowed upon those who he has determined to save. It's not bestowed on the rest of humanity. And we can understand why. Because there's nothing in any sinner that would cause God to love them. We can understand why God would pass people by and not save them. Because people don't deserve to be saved. But we can't understand why God would love us. The Greek word that's translated love in 1 John 4 um, throughout the rest of the passage, is the word agape. I'm sure you've heard it said before. What kind of love is agape? It's not the fondness between friends. It's not romantic love. 
It's a sacrificial love, and it's a love that does not vary with circumstance. It's a love that rises from the will. God determines, chooses us to love us with this love. It's an unconditional love. And when we speak of God's unconditional love for His elect people, some might think that that's presumptuous language. I'm not expecting to find that view in this church um, if you've been here for any length of time. But the fact that God sovereignly and eternally chose to love people in spite of their sin can only make us more confident about His love. Since God chose to love me in spite of my failures, And then when I inevitably do fail, his love for me will not. It is a mystery, but I'm certain of it. I know God loves me. And in this text, John is going to provide now the greatest proof of God's love for sinners. And that brings us to consider, secondly, love's manifestation. We've been thinking very briefly about love's mystery. Why would God love me? There's no reason in me. It's because he chose to. It's because he set his love upon me before the foundation of the world. That's love's mystery. And now we see love's manifestation, and we'll ask this question if it helps to open it up a little more. How can God love me? We thought, why does God love me? Now let's ask the question, how can God love me? And if we look at our text, we'll concentrate on these words. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world. So when we ask the question, how can God love me? It's with reference to the fact that God can't contradict Himself. He cannot and does not bestow love at the expense of His justice or His holiness. He could not and does not do it. So if God is just, how can He love me? Because I'm a sinner. Well, the answer is found in Jesus Christ. And the theme of this verse is the incarnation of Jesus Christ, where it says in the verse, God sent His only begotten Son into the world. And John says, in this, in the sending of His only begotten Son, was manifested the love of God toward us. In this, John says, in the incarnation, God's love appeared. In this, God's love was expressed. The incarnation is the greatest expression of God's love. Now, I just thought I would recommend a book to you this morning. If any of you would be interested, you should get a copy of Alan Cairns' Dictionary of Theological Terms. It's not over your head. It's done in such a simple way, and you could get that book, and you could read one of those little entries every day. And you would learn more about the terms that people use to explain biblical doctrine. You would learn more about theology, and you would get so much more out of the preaching that you hear, and it would be a a blessing to your soul. Alan Kearns' Dictionary of Theological Terms. I'm going to quote from that dictionary now, because Dr. Kearns wrote, regarding the love of God, he said, God's love is specifically united in Scripture with the gift of His Son. And isn't that what we see in this verse? John is writing about the love of God toward us, And he says that God's love was expressed by sending His only begotten Son into the world. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. How do we know God loves? And how can God love sinners? Because He sent His Son to save them. 
when Paul wrote to Timothy about the incarnation, he actually described it as a mystery. He said there, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. And when we consider the incarnation, we're dealing with another mystery. But it's a revealed truth. And we thank God for revealing the saving truth of the gospel. Let me point out two things to you regarding the incarnation in this text. God sent His only begotten Son into the world. In this was manifested the love of God toward us. First of all, in the incarnation, we're taught that an existing being was made apparent. That's the meaning of the word manifested. Jesus Christ appeared. He was not created. He was an existing being. He is the eternal Son, the eternal Word, the only begotten Son of the Father. In John's Gospel, in chapter 1, that opening passage deals with Jesus Christ. He's called the Word. He is said to have been in the beginning with God. He is the eternal Word of the Father. In verse 14, then, we're told the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And that's what incarnation means, to be made flesh. And so we find the only begotten Son being sent into the world, a previously existing person, not created. We're also taught in this verse that regarding the incarnation, God the Son did not become a man. Rather, He assumed a human nature. And now in the one person that is Jesus Christ, there are two natures, a divine nature and a human nature, and they're united forever. Jesus Christ is both God and man forever. He accomplished the work of redemption as the God-man. With a sinless humanity in union with His deity, He was and is without sin, Hebrews 4.15. In fact, it is not possible for Jesus Christ to sin. And at the scene of His baptism, God looked on Jesus Christ. God veiled in flesh, the Word made flesh and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This is what John's writing about. The greatest of all miracles. Isn't it amazing that God, the Creator, would willingly be manifested and willingly appear as a creature? Isn't it striking that the Holy Son of God would willingly be sent into the world that He created? That He would humble Himself to such an extent? Yes, it is amazing, and it is miraculous. And not only does it prove God's love, but it is also, therefore, how God can love us. This is the question we're asking. How can God love us? Love is expressed. It's, it has appeared before us in the person of Jesus Christ. God can only love sinners in Christ. That is the only way that God can truly love a sinner. And it has to be in Christ, since, as it says in 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, Jesus Christ is the one mediator between God and men. God can only love sinners in Jesus Christ. The love of God is only exercised through Christ. And so God does not love every person. God does not love everyone. But you thank God this morning if you're saved, He loves you. He loves you in Jesus Christ. As the mediator filling the role of prophet, Jesus Christ is the one who reveals God to men. John 1, 18 says, No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. We learn of God's love by Christ the prophet. And in His, other, his next role as mediator, 
As priest, Christ offered himself pure and holy, spotless, as one sacrifice for sin forever. Jesus Christ took the guilt of his people's sin. He, his own self, bare our sins in his own body on the tree. 1 Peter 2, 24. And if you look in 1 John 4 at verse 10, please, it says, Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So praise God this morning that Jesus Christ made the propitiation for our sins, and because of him, God's wrath is turned away. That's how God can love us. That's how the just and the holy God can love us because of Jesus Christ. That's how it can be done. And that's how we know that God will pardon the sins of those who trust in Jesus Christ because He will take their sins away and He will give Christ's righteousness to all who trust in Him. And then we can take the words of Romans 5 and verse 1. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is how God can love us. Love's manifestation. Consider with me very briefly before we come to another thought, how men treated the one who manifested the love of God, the greatest love that any person could ever know. Think of how he was treated. In the person of Jesus Christ, there was the very divine essence, the pure spirit that is God. And yet that true essence of God, that true essence of love, for God is love, appeared before men and was rejected. He was despised. He was mocked. He was doubted and ultimately crucified by his own unbelieving countrymen. There's a hymn that you might be familiar with. I'd like to read the first verse of it to you. My song is love unknown, my Savior's love to me, love to the loveless shown that they might lovely be. Oh, who am I that for my sake my Lord should take frail flesh and die? Love's manifestation. How can God love us? Only in Jesus Christ. Finally, let's this morning look at love's mission. Love's mission, and we don't have a question to explain this further. We have a statement, and that statement is, God's love dwells in me. That's love's mission. God's love dwells in me. And we'll focus on the, ver- the, the part of our text, which is, God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. This word sent is translated from a Greek word that means send forth, as if someone's being sent on a mission. It's sometimes sometimes translated as forth. In Mark 3 and verse 14, we read, And he ordained twelve that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach. It's also used in John 3, 17, which says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. When Jesus Christ came into this world, he was sent forth. There was a mission. Love had a mission, and the mission was that we might live through Him. And therefore, I take those final words of the text as showing us the accomplishment of love's mission. And this is the point. This is why Christ came, to save sinners, 
so that you and I might live through him. As Jesus said in John 10, verse 10, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. This was love's mission. What does it mean to have life through Christ? Well, it means to have, first of all, spiritual life. It means to be born again. It means that like the dry bones pictured in Ezekiel, we are given flesh and then life is breathed into us. What was once dead now lives. It means also that Christ dwells in us by His Spirit and that we bear the fruit of the Spirit. Look at verse 13, please, John, 1 John 4, verse 13. Hereby know we that we dwell in Him, and He in us, because He hath given us of His Spirit. We are led, we are guided, we are prompted and moved by the Holy Spirit, especially when we're before God in worship, whether privately or publicly, and this is one proof, one way in which we know love has accomplished its mission in us. Let me bring a few thoughts to you for application. The first thing that I want to bring is that we should be convinced. Let us today be convinced of God's love for us. Let's look at verse 17 and verse 19. 17, herein, are, herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as He is, so are we in this world. It's not presumptuous for the Christian to say, I know God loves me. Beyond any doubt. Because verse 17 says, herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness. Because as He is, so are we in this world. As Christ is loved by God, so am I loved. Even now, still failing, still struggling, still being tempted, and at times succumbing to that temptation, I am loved as Christ is loved. May God help us to take that in. And this love in verse 19 is shown as the result of God's unconditional love. We love Him because He first loved us. This love does not rest on our performance. This love does not change when we go through a trial. The love of God that He has set upon us from all eternity is not greater when we are feeling joyful than it is when we are feeling sad. This love is unchanging because God is unchanging. And may God help us to take in, may God help us to be convinced of His immutable, unchanging love for us. And throughout the rest of this day, may our hearts respond in worship. Second application, let's speak of God's love in a way that honors God. What a shame it would be if unbelievers were to hear us speaking or singing, or I'll apply it to myself, preaching about such an amazing theme in a way that is blasé and indifferent. Cold, unfeeling. Consider, believer, how God expresses His love for you. Zephaniah three seventeen: The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save, He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in His love. He will joy over thee with singing. God sings over you. And so I trust that we will sing for Him, maybe better than we've done before. Application number three, let's demonstrate God's love towards our brethren and sisters. This is what John was writing about at the start of this section in verse 7, and he returns to that theme in verses 20 and 21. So let's read verse 7, verse 11, and 20 and 21 together. 
Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and every one that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. When we read these verses, when I read these verses, I have to confess that I have not always loved my brethren and sisters in Christ as I ought to. And sometimes that lack of love is not that there's, a, there's an act of dislike or an act of hatred, maybe the case at times, but sometimes it's that we failed to love them. We failed in our duty to love. We failed to be considerate. We failed to simply... We failed to be a good example. But our, our calling, our purpose is to love one another. For love is of God. Now, there are no shortage of ways to love one another. It can be expressed in words. It can be expressed in gestures and deeds. Be letting someone know that we are thinking of them. It can be helping someone with a problem that they are facing. But so often in life when we are aware that many of people's problems come and we are powerless to do anything about them ourselves, love will make us pray. If we love the brethren and sisters, we will pray for them. Bear ye one another's burdens. What are we to do, Christians, with our burdens? We're to cast them on the Lord. And so therefore, when we're told to bear one another's burdens, I immediately think, well, that means praying about those burdens. And I know that this congregation does so, but let us do it more. Let's demonstrate God's love towards our brethren and sisters, not only immediately to them, but by praying for them. Could I ask you to turn to the previous chapter, 1 John 3, and read verse 16. A note of encouragement here, because this verse says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us, and we ought, down, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now, ultimately, that's referring to the actual giving of Christ's life, that he literally gave his life. His life was ended there on Calvary. He died for us. But the application on the first level of this verse for us is that we should be sacrificial with our lives for the brethren. And I encourage you this morning, because I'm speaking to people who are laying down your lives, in the sense of your time, your energy, your resources. You're laying them down in the cause of Christ and for the sake of the gospel. And when you do this, you love the brethren. You labor among and you labor for your brethren and sisters in Christ and also those people who are not yet saved. Those people who one day, in the will of God, will become your brethren and sisters. You're loving them when you spread the gospel. This is the love of God acting through you. It's in obedience to God's command, and it follows Christ's example who laid down his life in the ultimate sense for us. And every time we labor in love for the people of God and for the church of Jesus Christ, and in order to spread the gospel, we are following his example. And I just thought I would mention this morning that this congregation is looking for 
people to be added to uh, its, its session. That is a labor of love. It is a labor, and it is a labor of love. And so pray that God will compel the hearts of some brethren in this congregation to lay down their lives in that sense, their time, their energy, and give it to the church, to labor among the church of Jesus Christ. One final note, because I don't know who I speak to today, I cannot assume that everyone here is saved. Consider this verse, when Jesus Christ spoke to the unbelieving Jews in His ministry on earth, John 5, 42, but I know you, that ye have not the love of God in you. I don't know if you don't have the love of God in you, but Jesus does. God does. In such people, love's mission has not been accomplished. Ye have not the love of God. Jesus Christ is speaking to those who have not bowed the knee, who have not trusted in Him, who do not believe in Him, and who can't say, I know God loves me. Because Christ says, you have not the love of God in you. Let me appeal to you today. In view of such a great love, very poorly expressed this morning, but the Bible tells us of a love that is unspeakable, of a love that is without compare, And some of the poets that God has given to His church have given us beautiful hymns and expressions of a love, a love that is unknown, my Savior's love to me, love to the loveless shown that they might lovely be. This is a love, sinner, of which you can be certain. If you're certain of no other love in your life, this is the one that you need to be certain about because this is the love that's offered to you in order to save you from your sins. There is a difference Some people in this world, Jesus Christ, looked at the Jews in His day who didn't believe in Him and said, I know you, that ye have not the love of God in you. But in this chapter, John is writing about the greatest proof of of God's love. He's writing about how God can love sinners in verse 9, because God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Here in His love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. God sent His Son to bear the wrath that we were due and to take it all for us so that that wrath is turned away and that when we trust in Jesus Christ and believe on Him, we will be saved. That's the love of God to sinners. We've been thinking this morning about this simple statement, I know God loves me. We thought, first of all, the mystery of God's love, because why does God love me? There's nothing in me that makes God love me. God doesn't love me because of anything I've done or who I am. He loves me because He determined He chose to do it. And then we saw that love was manifested. It appeared before men. It was expressed, and that happened in the person of Jesus Christ. As God the Son came into this world, was born in Bethlehem, and lived among men, lived perfectly, and then went to the cross and died for sin. That's how love was manifested. And this whole point, the whole point of the love of God to us in Christ is expressed in 1 John 4 verse 9, that we might live through Him. That is love's mission. And God is still on that mission 
The work of salvation is not over. God is still saving. And God can save you today. He can save you right now if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Whosoever, anyone, that calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can know the love of God today. A certain and unchanging love. And that will completely change your life. And so I just appeal to anyone who is not saved to come to Christ today. Come and talk to someone who can help you more here in the congregation today. We would love to speak to you. I pray that all of you will have been blessed through what we've considered quite briefly in this deep verse. But may the Lord bless your hearts as you think of God's love to you in Christ Jesus. Let's just close here in a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we pray that the truth of these verses will have come home to hearts. We pray, Lord, that when we think of the love that God has shown to us, that our love for Thee would be stronger in return. We pray, Lord, that we would love Thee more and that we would serve Thee better. We thank You for the amazing gift of God's Son, freely given. We thank you, Father, that God's love is offered to whosoever. It's offered to all. And Lord, as that message is proclaimed today in this pulpit, throughout the rest of the Lord's day, we pray that sinners would come, come when they are called. We thank you, Lord, that that's all the sinner has to do. Lord, those of us who are saved truly rejoice when we think of what God has done for us and how much He loves us in spite of ourselves. And Lord, we are humbled. We pray, Father, that you would help us to take a hold of our knowledge of the love of God, to take a hold of what the Bible tells us, and that in the good times and the bad that we would have this understanding, this confidence, this boldness, even in the day of judgment, that God loves us. Lord, I thank you that I can honestly say, based on Scripture alone, I know God loves me. And I pray, Lord, that you would encourage us today as we have opportunity in a little while to worship Thee this morning and this evening, that our hearts would rise up in response to the truth of the Word of God, and that we would worship Thee in spirit and in truth, joyfully, singing to the Lord even as He sings over us. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We pray that You would bless it now. Go with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.